Father McFarland, welcome back for another fun episode of Vocations Talk. Thanks, Andrew. Happy like to be here. Car, it's like car talk, except spiritual. No, we're not saying that college. Right. No, that's uh, fair. Uh, my, my vocation is making this noise. Duh, 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 duh. <laughs> and we don't really have, we don't have obnoxious East Coast accents. We can try. No, we won't. I, I have a little bit of one. A little bit. It's not too bad. Thanks. All right. So episode four, we are talking about, uh, we, we're calling this episode, at least in theory, as, as we're starting this, we're calling this uh, the toxic culture of deciding on a state in life. Um, what makes this toxic? What is what is it about this whole process that you think is toxic, Father, and that you'd like to correct? What's toxic about it is that the the whole mentality is is wrong, as as we've mentioned numerous times in, in in the course of this. But what should be a process of making a decision becomes a process of trying to figure something out that that we can't figure out, and so. Uh, as we said, there's all sorts of bad advice and ridiculous things that people say that oftentimes end up prevent someone who is, preventing someone who is perfectly qualified from pursuing uh, the priesthood of religious life. And that, you know, that we, you know, toxic is a good word in that sense, and that we, we sort of poison the the possibility of uh, of this person giving himself um, completely to to God in, in a state of consecrated life. Okay. Well, we are going to go through some of your um, more contested ideas or ideas that that you don't like uh, a little (laughs) bit later on here in this episode. But first, let's talk about the right way of choosing the state in life uh, that that you should be doing as an individual. Um, This is often called the process of discernment. And you Uh said right before we started recording, you don't like the term discernment uh, for this. Why is that, Father? Because discernment, you know, we use, we spiritually use discernment for, uh, for example, for the discernment of, of spirits. So to, to figure out, um, is this movement taking place in my soul coming from God, coming from my own natural inclinations or coming from the devil with the, the thought of pursuing consecrated life, there's really, there's no risk of deception, uh, this, it, it can't be a bad thing to want to give yourself completely to God. And the same as the example I've often used of making the decision to go to mass every day or receive communion every day, right? That we don't have to worry about being deceived there because the thing itself is good. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, St. Thomas g- goes so far as to say that if, if the devil convinced us to pursue religious life, we still don't need to worry about it because he's convinced us to do something good, which is a, you know, St. Thomas's point, of course, is he's not going to, to try to get us to to pursue religious life, he's going to try to convince us not to and use whatever means are at his disposal in order to do so. So it's not as if we have to figure out if this is going to be a good thing. We are going to have to apply certain uh, tests to ourselves in terms of, okay, I, I, I know what the impediments are. Are there any impediments? Is there really anything that's keeping me from that? But those things are going to be obvious. There's not a process of discernment that has to happen whereby I, you know, come to that knowledge. It's just uh, the application of these, these imp- uh, impediments to myself. Am I, do I fall under any of these? Okay. So 
Let's go through. I'm just going to ask you kind of a series of questions here, Father, on on this topic. Um, you said, you know, just it's not really discernment, but in an Ignatian retreat, you do go through the process of learning how to discern uh, whether things come from good or for evil. So uh-huh. oftentimes people will go on a retreat before they're about to make a big decision. Um, you yourself host vocations retreat. So how does that process fit in? In the Ignatian exercises, St. Ignatius has a whole section on the choice uh, of a way of life. And that word choice is used repeatedly. And so what he's trying to get the, the retreatant to do is to take the what's most important, what St. Ignatius calls the principle and foundation, that man is created to praise, reverence, and serve God our Lord, and by this means save his soul, and that all the other things in the face of the earth are to help man to the attainment of this end. And then apply that to himself in his, his current place in life, and then make a decision about what he has to do to give himself as completely uh, as possible to God. And so what he's trying to do is, is to get you to really think about, okay, I really am made just for my salvation and the glory of God. There shouldn't really be any other consideration right now. What's the way that I can be most pleasing to God? And his, his ways of making a, a, a choice of, uh, of a way of life are to help you to do that. So to be as generous as possible in, in the light of, of this principle. So we're acting based on faith at, with the greatest possible generosity. And I maintain that what St. Ignatius is trying to do is to get as many people as possible to enter religious life, quite frankly. And he, he, mm-hmm. he is, you know, and he talks about the choice, the choice, the choice. The word keeps coming back. He talks about discernment elsewhere in the discernment of spirits. He doesn't talk about it in uh, when he's going through these these methods of making a choice of a way of life. Interesting. Is it possible, Father, to miss, quote unquote, miss your vocation? Uh, is someone uh, better suited objectively? And we've kind of already answered this, I think, in episode one, uh, better suited to the priesthood or the married life. And is that an objective thing? And they've missed it and they, they will uh, lack something later on in their life because of uh, a missed choice. On the natural level, you could say that there is perhaps a certain more of a inclination in, in a particular direction, or you might say this person has talents that would, be, would suit him well in the priesthood or in this particular sort of religious life. But it's, it's not a question of, of the application of, of your natural talents, you know, and that this, this person is more clearly more uh, set up to be a priest, so he should be a priest. This one clearly more to be uh, a husband or, or father. You know, I know, know plenty of priests who, had they chosen to go a different direction, would have made great fathers. Uh, and plenty of fathers who had chosen to go a different direction would have made great priests. So it's, it, it's certainly not that. And then uh, is it, a, you know, again, is there a thing that I have that I, I can only do that? And otherwise, I'm, I'm that fish out of water in the wrong place, struggling to save my soul. No, not if, if there are, if there are no impediments, then you and a religious congregation will take you Then go ahead. Uh, and you know, and there are, you know, our vices are vices in religious life or in secular life. Our vices are vices, uh, in the priesthood or, um, in lay life and, and likewise for our virtues. So we all have those things that we, we struggle with and those things that we're good at. And wherever we are, it, it, those are going to, you know, to be our strengths and our weaknesses. 
Is there so, a proper way to choose? I'm sorry, go ahead. I was like, so no, there's not, it's not a matter of, of missing a vocation. It's possible for someone to have, have uh, made that decision knowingly to be less generous. And that's not a good thing. Right. But it's, but it's also not like, well, now you're pretty much hosed for the rest of your life. You made your bed, <laughs> sleep in it. Uh, you know, it's right. not, it's not that either. You can still right. have a, a fruitful Catholic life and save your soul. Even if you, you, at the moment of making the decision, you, you know, you were not as generous as you could have been. Sure. Is there a particular process for a, a right way to go about choosing a state in life? Um, do you need a spiritual director to help you make this decision? Or if, if after watching this series of podcasts, you go, I got it. Yeah, a spiritual director would not be a strict requirement. It can be very helpful as long as it's someone who's going to you know, help you to move in, in that direction of being generous. Uh, and that's what... Um, I think that's St. Thomas again, that we shouldn't, shouldn't take a whole lot of, of counsel on the subject of entering religious life because our Lord has counseled it. And we should only ask advice from people we know are going to encourage us. So uh, we see what St. Thomas thinks about it pretty clearly. So it, it can help. And certainly the more, the more we're focused on the supernatural, the more we're living a fervent spiritual life, the, the more we're going to have that support of grace, the more the making of this decision is going to, to make sense to us and it will, will help okay. us to, to, to be generous. Okay. Uh, next question I have, um, is there such a thing as a vocation Oracle that is uh, a priest or someone else who can just tell, I know you have a vocation, you've got it. Uh, and if someone is, says that to you, uh, what should you think if you're a young man, young lady, and, and someone says that to you? Uh, I, I don't think it exists because I don't think there's a thing that you have or don't have. Are those, are there those rare individuals who have the you know, certain prophetical gifts from God where they might see that it's particularly important for, for your salvation or for the good of the church to, to enter uh, a state of consecrated life or maybe even to avoid one? Sure. That's, that's possible. But I think in most cases, if somebody tells you that you say, oh, okay, thanks. And then try to make a decision based on sound principles. Uh, very often there's this, this desire among the candidates to just have that very clear answer. And someone who's, who's just giving categorical statements can seem very appealing, uh, especially if that's a person of authority, like, like a priest or a religious. Uh, but I don't think that in 99% of the cases that that's solidly grounded. And I wish people would stop doing that. And very Fair often enough. it, it's, it's the opposite case. Like, no, not for you. Well, well, why not? I, I, it seems that I, I don't have any impediments. Nope. I know I have experienced these matters or I know these things or what, not you. Um, and I have seen cases where people who have been told that even by priests have gone on to be religious and it's been fine and better than fine. An excellent thing. Okay. So it, it comes down to, it really is a decision that, that, each person has to make for himself. And that's, and that's the way that God wants it. Unless God gives you some extraordinary manifestation to show that, that, um, you know, if, if you encountered a Padre Pio or someone like that, who has a, a, uh, you know, there's clear evidence that he is speaking with the authority of God, then, then by all means, listen to him. Or if God is, you know, working miracles, other extraordinary signs to indicate some direction to you, that's different. But if it's just somebody who thinks, you know, they always know, don't take that too seriously. 
that's my advice. Okay. Um, so last question I have kind of in this subset of the decision-making process. Uh, what about parents? Can you speak to parents for a moment, Father, about how best to assist their teenage, young adult children, or even younger, uh, along this process? Are there things that they should or shouldn't do, uh, or are there things that they should be doing to help with this whole process? Well, the thing that's most helpful is not just something that you kind of super add uh, to your to what you've done for your children at the uh, the end of their their childhood as they're making this decision, but that you've lived a, and helped them to live and taught them uh, the ways of a, of a, a fervent Catholic life that you've shown respect for priests and, and for religious, that you've always presented this as uh, an ideal uh, of something, something worth doing, something worth pursuing that they've had exposure to, to priests and religious. So it's not such a distant and foreign thing. Uh, that's uh, the most important aspect and likewise, encouraging them uh, to, to a real spiritual life throughout their childhood and to teach them from, from their earliest days the spirit of self-sacrifice, which is, which is so essential to, to the gift of oneself. And you know, those, are, those are the big things. So it's a, it's a process that begins when you know, the child is born, basically. And, but as they're, as they're approaching that decision, you don't want as a parent to, to push or to be the one who's deciding for them. Really? You really need to think about the priesthood. You would be a fine priest and I think you should be a priest. And, and then Billy ends up going because mom wants him to go and to get mom off his back. He stays for three months and then comes home. Not ever mm -hmm. really taking it seriously because it wasn't his own decision. You have to, you have to leave him free to make it, make that decision for himself. Uh, it, it can't be something that he's pushed into. Likewise, Parents need to not discourage their children's interest in the, the priesthood of the religious life. And this can happen for a number of reasons. And sometimes it's, it's because of a, a sentimental attachment of the parents to, to the children. They, they want them around in their later years and don't want them locked up in a convent or sent off to foreign mission countries or, or what have you. Uh, or they want... You know, they want those grandkids uh, and as many as possible and as soon as possible. Um, or it may be the, the, the case of, well, this, you know, of all my children, the one who's interested doesn't seem like a very promising candidate. You, you can't even clean up your own room. You think you can be a priest? Uh, <laughs> and that, you know, that, that pouring cold water on, on uh, a young person's generosity does a lot of damage. And you don't, you know, I think of, I think some people think of uh, vocations as something that needs to be tried and, and tested. You know, don't worry, it will be. And we, we don't need to add tests to that, especially in the modern world. Uh, you know, before entering uh, the life at the seminary or in the novitiate, living the life as, as a priest or as a professor religious, there will be those temptations, there will be those trials. Don't worry, we don't need to add to them. I think of it as being like a, a little flame that you need to, to protect and, and to build, to, to feed the, the fuel to it, to encourage it so that it can grow, so that it can survive on its own. And, you know, even, even just a little uh, breath of, of discouragement, of, of um, opposition can blow that flame out. And I, and I know for myself 
at the time that I was considering entering the, the seminary. I was dragging my feet doing it. I wasn't very enthusiastic. I thought I'd had my life all figured out. And if there had been somebody who, who said, you know, no, I would say, oh, thank goodness. Yeah, but then I, you just then gave I me all the permission I needed. Yes, yes. And then yeah. um, I, I wouldn't be where I, where I am today, which is, you know, I get to hold God in my hands every morning. You know? um, I would have missed out on, uh, on a great deal. So to even if they're not a great candidate, apparently – there have been plenty of us who were absolute schlubs at the, the age of 16 who more or less got it figured out and uh, were banged into shape to make respectable priests to say, that's a, that's a great idea. That's a very noble ambition. Recognize that you have some things you need to work on if that's what you want to do. You need to try harder at school. You need to, to, to be more uh, dedicated to your responsibilities. Prepare yourself now. You know, get ready. So we can certainly encourage them to improve themselves, but also, but not to discourage the, the, the vocation. And you, you have it too with, um, you know, that the, oh, but you'd be such a, such a great father. You'd be such a great mother. Don't do that. They, they might be, but the, we have to remember it's a matter of faith that the, the call to consecrated life is, is higher. And we have to be, ready to make that, that gift of, of our children as they have to be ready to make that gift of themselves. As a parent with teenage kids myself, I, I know personally, it is hard to, to let go. It's hard to mm-hmm. just, you know, let, let them go and, and make their own horrible decisions that they make sometimes. Right. Um, and, and I can, I can understand how maybe a parent would say, you know, you've got to do this. You know, I, I see it in you because you do know your kids, you know, them well, or you, yeah. as a parent, you go, Hey, you, you, Give me grandkids, right? Both right. of those are pretty bad ideas. You, you've got to let go. Yep. Yep. And to, to encourage, to advise, uh, but, sure. but not to let it be your decision. Right. Right. Well, let's talk about uh, once a candidate has entered the seminary, novitiate, convent, you know, whatever. Um, what happens if someone is asked to leave, uh, sometimes it it probably feels to a candidate that this is a, a feeling of rejection, like the, the the priesthood didn't want me or the religious life didn't want me. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean, and, and how does that happen sometimes? Well, it it can, I mean, it can happen for any number of reasons. Uh, there there can be questions of health, there can be moral problems, there can be. Um, apparent lack of, of affinity for the life. Like it's, it's just not working, um, with the priesthood, it, a failure to, uh, attain the qualifications. You know, the, the candidate's been here a few years, his, his grades are poor or he's, or he's not maturing or he's difficult in community life. And, uh, and so it, there, that the, there would be a feeling of rejection is, is normal, but we, we have to see that, Two is the just, okay, God has manifested his will to me. I made the offering of myself, the gift of myself. If I did everything I could, if I gave it, put my whole heart into it, gave it my all, then I have nothing to regret. It just didn't work out. It also does not mean that one cannot try to pursue the religious life elsewhere. Uh, that, mm-hmm. that does happen in a particular congregation is, is just not the right fit. It doesn't, no one can tell you you're not suited for the religious life anywhere 
unless there's a canonical impediment. They okay. can tell you in that case, they can tell you if otherwise you can, you know, whatever your, your quirks, foibles and failings may be, you're permitted to try elsewhere. And really there's not even a, a cap on the number of times you could try, but probably, you know, if you've already been turned away from six convents, the other convents are going to be like, okay, why? And be yeah. a little relu- reluctant <laughs> to take a chance on you. Um, and at, you know, and at that point, most people will be saying, okay, it's, it just looks like it's not for me, but right. as, as devastating as that may be. And if you, if you gave it your all, it does not mean God doesn't want you, but you have to look for where you can serve him with, uh, you know, with your, your abilities, uh, and capacities. If, uh, if it didn't work out in the priesthood or religious life. Could you talk a little bit, maybe father about, um, this kind of probably fine, fine line. Once you are in the seminary or the religious house, it, it must be a, a, a total change to go from, you know, living in the world to going into a religious house. And it's must, there must be difficulties and challenges to, to do that. How do you know whether to persevere and, and move forward through those difficulties? Or maybe that's uh, indications that you are just not suited for that life. How do you, how do you make that continue to make that choice or to make the choice to leave once you are in uh, the religious house or seminary? It's actually pretty simple. And that is you just stay. And if you're not supposed to be there, the people who are in charge of letting you know that you're not supposed to be there will tell you to leave. Right. So I think the the best thing for a candidate to do entering a a novitiate or the seminary is to just stop thinking about whether they should be there. I made the decision I'm giving myself unless the situation changes where it becomes manifestly clear that I cannot pursue my resolution to serve God here. So that, and then one should stay. So when is that going to be the case? When obedience tells you to go, or if there's some, you know, corruption of the, the, uh, of the life, you know, the, the, uh, the seminary gets infected by modernism or the, the, um, the religious congregation, um, seems to be abandoning the traditional faith or, you know, things like that. So, it's, it's really not, not complicated. And it, it, the less the, the, the candidates think about it, the better, quite frankly, because are you giving yourself or are you going with this, you know, introspective, I'm going to see how I feel from day to day and if I like it or not. And that's right. opening the door to the devil playing on your feelings and, and getting you to leave. So if you're not supposed mm-hmm. to be there, as long as you're open with your, your superiors, your spiritual director in particular, and you're putting forth your best effort, if you're not supposed to be there, they'll let you know. That's what the whole process is for. That's why we have a novitiate and, and temporary vows. That's why we have a seminary that, that lasts for years before you're definitively committed to, to that life as a priest. It's, it's so they can make that determination. You've already decided to do it. So you're doing it, and then they tell you if you can or not. Of course, you're free to okay. quit. But in, if unless your motivation changes, why would you quit? So as long as that motivation is to what you want to do is is serve God and save your soul, stay where you are. That's great advice. Um, all right, so I'm going to say uh, about five or six different quotes of okay. things that I have heard or you have heard in the past, and after each quote, I'm just going to let you talk. Uh, this uh, is the this is the part where you get to rant about stuff, Father. 
this is a section called Typical Vocation Misunderstandings. And we could come up with a more colorful title than that, but that's what we got right now. All right. Quote, you should get to know the world so that you know <laughs> you should you should get to know the world so that you know what you're giving up. That's ridiculous. Um, why would you again you're, you're nourishing that flame? Why would you like that? All right now I'm gonna take it out into the rain? You know, and that's it's contrary to the practice of the church throughout the centuries, which generally was, you know, get them in as soon as possible. Uh, to protect them, to protect them from that, that influence of the world. We, we, uh, we want to avoid the spirit of the world, but also, you know, we're not, you know, trying other things either. If someone says, Hey, I'm, I'm planning to get married. No one says, well, go to the seminary for a couple of years first to see what you're, what you're missing out or go live in a priory for a while. Or if you say, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I've decided I'm going to go to law school. Well, have you tried being an airline pilot first? You know, you got to know what you're giving up. It's ridiculous. You know, is, is this the, the, the best thing to do or not? And it's, it's, it's a matter of faith. It is. So why would I go tempt myself to do something lesser when I've already, I'm already thinking about doing the better thing? Right. Uh, you, a subset of this argument is often um, XYZ person is too immature. You know, at a 17, 18 year old just graduating high school, they're, they're way too immature. They need to get out and get some worldly experience first. Same thing there? Well, it depends on the 17 or 18 year old. It, it can happen that they are not yet mature enough, but still, I, I'm very much opposed to the just throw them out there, you know, go get a job at a, a fast food restaurant or, or work in construction or, or whatever. Uh, you want them to be in some kind of environment that they can be protected. So you want to make sure that they are, you know, working if they need to, to work or go to school to do so in a, in a situation where they have access to the sacraments, they have good Catholic friends. It's going to help them to continue along the path if they have that interest in, in the priesthood or religious life, not turn them aside to other things. So that's okay. why, you know, even we do the, this year in a priory now for candidates for the seminary. Um, we do it for those who are just new to the society to get them to you know, to know us better and we can know them better. But also for those who aren't mature yet to give them that opportunity to have some experience, but they still they live surrounded by priests. Uh, they have you know rules for their life and, and um, the, that constant access to the sacraments and, and spiritual direction and teaching and so on, uh, which helps to to protect and, and nourish that uh, that uh, desire to, to give themselves rather than snuffing it out. Okay. And then I guess same sort of thing. You should quote, you should get to know the world so that you can counsel such and such type person. You know, some sheltered little priest is not going to be able to counsel me on my big business ventures or my marriage or things like that. They, they need some more experience before they can even conceivably know what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. And they'll, they'll get it in the seminary and in the priesthood. Uh, you, okay. you, grow up, you grow up real fast in the confessional. Uh, you encounter all kinds of things <laughs> sure. that, you, that you, you didn't expect to. And, you know, and for certain things, yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't ask a priest who, who still has the, the oil wet on his hands about some of these more complicated questions. And he shouldn't be you know, answering them as if he's got the experience. There are times where he, you know, even the confessional, he has to ask permission of the penitent. Would it be all right with you if I, if I consulted another priest? And you consult some priest who's far away um, and, and then get back to that person or the like. Okay. But certainly, we you know we acquire a, a wide range of experience in in our dealings with people in the confessional, out of the confessional, etc. That you know, are they going to acquire that wide range of of, of experience in a couple of years 
you know, just working some job. Not really anyway. You know, I, I'm, I'm right. now very qualified to, uh, to counsel um, fast food restaurant employees on their duties of state because. You know, right. <laughs> right. Um, this is a quote that you sent to me. And on the face of it, it sounds actually logical. So I'm interested. Quote, the world needs good married people. So not everyone can become religious. Right. Well, uh, when it becomes a problem, we'll let you know. You know St. Thomas says that, that uh, those who, who fear to, um, to end the human race by, by entering religious life are like people who, who fear to take a drink because they think they'll, they'll dry up the river. Right. Uh, there, are, mm. there are plenty of people getting married, plenty of good people getting married, plenty of people who get, got married and, you know, without the best intentions, weren't great people who converted later on uh, and are living fervent uh, married life. We don't have the same need that we uh, for good married people, the same dearth of good married people that we have for uh, of priests and religious. Uh, the the you know the numbers are not even close, and it is the the higher calling to to give oneself entirely to God. So it it the uh, you know deserves the first consideration. But really, it's it's uh, you know we're never going to run out of people getting married. Right. If, if the human race okay. is about to die out and we need somebody to, you know, to fall on the grenade and get married, well, we'll, we'll let you know. All right. We'll let you Thank know. you. Thank you for okay. volunteering in advance. <laughs> but I don't see All it right. coming up anytime soon. <laughs> All right. Um, here's another one. Quote, if you meet someone, a great guy, girl, Catholic, perfect, very handsome, very beautiful, whatever. All the things. Yep. This is a sign from God that you are not meant for consecrated life. Right. That's painfully ridiculous. And it's, it's something that, uh, in one case, a priest said to a, a friend of mine who is now a priest. Like, just just keep dating, and if you meet someone, that'll be the sign from God. Uh, you. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to me how many times, after people have made the decision to, to pursue consecrated life, they do meet someone. And then God asks this, not just the, the, the sacrifice in the, the abstract of, of marriage, but marriage to this person whom I know and in whom I'm really interested, would, would like to, to explore building a life with this person. But no, I'm, I'm making now a more concrete sacrifice. And the problem here is, is putting the natural and the supernatural on the same level. You know, we, we can meet people throughout our life with whom we have that, that great connection. But you know, if we're already married, right, if, or if we're already in a state of consecrated life, we can't explore it then. So if we've made this, if we're thinking about this, it's, it still merits the first consideration, whether there's someone in the picture or not. And if someone comes into the picture, that doesn't fundamentally change the, uh, the situation. And I know plenty of priests who were uh, seriously uh, seeing women with the intent of getting married. Uh, I know of one even that was was engaged, um, broke off the engagement to go to the seminary. You know, so it, again, it's the higher state, so that that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, last quote I've got is uh, a little bit on the parent side again. If one or two or three of my children don't become a priest or a religious, I'm a bad mother, also known as the parental guilt syndrome. So if one of my kids' father doesn't become a priest. Does that mean I'm a I'm a bad father? Yep, total failure. Yeah, no, I'm just thanks. kidding. Um, no, of course <laughs> not. I, it, they have free will for one thing, and the you know there it's 
it's up to them to make that decision. The uh, races are different. Situations are different. You know, nobody, I mean, nobody has like, I mean, it's probably happened somewhere, but is there a family where all of the kids have, uh, you know, so no. So um, I don't know of one um, except for a couple of you know, only children, <laughs> but um, <laughs> in, in, it's not, it's not fundamentally, fundamentally up to the parent to decide. Okay, so what you want to do is simply give your, your child the, the best possibility exposure right, to the, to the priesthood, the, the spiritual principles, the spiritual life, the, the general good formation so that they can, can, can make the decision. Right? It, it, it's an option and they can pursue it or not. Um, and you know, along the same lines, just because a family has a whole bunch of religious doesn't mean that their parents are, are the best parents ever or that they're saints or, you know, it's, we, we tend to judge these things superficially, but the, uh, mm -hmm. the spirit bloweth where he will, you know, sometimes he, he draws people out of, uh, crazy situations, you know, even, even disastrous family life to, to consecrated life. It, it happens. So we don't, again, the, their grace does play a role here. It's not as if we just like, I follow, the prescriptions exactly and precisely one third of my children will end up in consecrated life. It's just mm -hmm. not the way it works. And it shouldn't be a, um, a, a cause for, um, for guilt. And there, there might be a little disappoint, natural disappointment, but not something sure. um, that we should take too seriously. Okay. Well, this has been good father. Um, as we go through all of these, all of these traits, all of these misunderstandings about, about vocations and about choosing, choosing life. What, what do you think I'll, I'll give you the floor to end. What do you think is the most out of all these things is the most toxic element in this whole discernment, quote unquote, culture, naturalism, which is the, the denial either in theory or in practice or both of course of the supernatural. So what, what, what happens in the, the toxic discernment culture is we, we focus in on self. It's this constant introspection. How am I feeling today? Do I want this today? Is this going to work with how I perceive my talents and my inclinations and my desires? When you look at Jesus Christ, that's, that's the antidote to naturalism. If we're thinking about him, thinking about what's pleasing to him, thinking about, about the eternal goods rather than our, our own personal momentary temporal good, then we're going to to make a much better decision. Uh, we are, you know, meant to take up our cross daily and follow Him. Or we, or we cannot be His disciples. And He offers us this this opportunity. Uh, if thou will be perfect, go sell what thou hast and give to the poor, and come follow me. And it's it's not just it's not just a negative thing. Go give up this stuff that people think is important. And you think. Oh, do I want to give up that stuff? No, I want to get married. I want to have my own things. I want to do what I want when I want. Come follow me. Like, come, come be my, my intimate friend. Come live in the closest possible association with me. He's, he's offering you in exchange for the goods of this world, even things that are totally legitimate, himself. And that's, and, and that's what we have to focus on. Not think about what we're giving up, but think about what we're getting. That we are having this, this relationship built into our life uh, with Jesus Christ. Uh, this, this consecration to him as a priest, uh, the, the priestly character giving us a, a participation in his own priesthood, 
or, or as a religious, setting ourselves apart to belong entirely to him, right? So that there, to eliminate those, those distractions that, that, um, most people, you know, even good people have in the world in order to focus entirely on him. And that's, that's, what's going to make us happy. And to, to think about the side of it of, you know, what I'm giving up, that's going to, you know, get us depressed and downcast at least at times, but to think for whom am I giving up? What do I get in return? He offers me eternal life. And even before that, a, a special place in, in, in his sacred heart, a special love that, that not everybody chooses to pursue. So that's, you know, my, my most basic and most essential advice in, in matters of vocations is look at Jesus Christ, foster that spiritual life, that, that, that daily union with him. So you're thinking about him instead of thinking about yourself. Right? If it's, if we're just thinking about self, we're not going to have the courage and the strength to overcome the obstacles that we face in, in pursuing um, a, a religious life or the priesthood. Right? But if we think about him, we will, we will have that strength. We'll draw that strength from him and he will, will, uh, will lead us into that, that, uh, that higher state and enable us to, to save our own soul and many other souls um, through, uh, through his power and not through our own. It's extraordinary advice, Father. Thanks. I'm, I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people. So, I hope so. thanks for uh, passing all this information along. Looking forward to chatting with them the next time. All right. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the SSPX Podcast. You can find all our previous series and episodes on sspxpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to and rate this podcast on whatever podcast app you use and on YouTube. This helps more people to discover the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism. And if you're able, we'd greatly appreciate your support of a one-time or a monthly recurring donation for these projects. All that information is at sspxpodcast.com. Until next time, thank you for listening and God bless you.